<laughs> right, we turn together in Luke chapter 9, and we're reading from verse 18 down to verse 36. Our beautiful service again this morning was lovely, and it's just reminded me of Count Zindendorf, who was a hymn writer, and he was in a, an art gallery, and he was looking at a picture of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the bottom of that picture, he had this comment, which says, all this I have done for you. What have you done for me? Well, that's a great challenge, isn't it? All this I have done for you. What have you done for me? Right, we're going to read from Luke 9, verse 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah. Others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain, and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself, or be cast away. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death, till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass on the eighth day after that saying, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, 
hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. This passage of scripture is going to be uh, very challenges, challenging to us all. Uh, and with things we can consider quite seriously about it. First of all, we would challenge ourselves with prayer because Jesus, it says, it came to pass while he was alone praying. Now, Luke tells us quite a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ praying in Luke's gospel. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who was dependent upon his father. So our first challenge is, how is our prayer life? Are we praying Christians? Because we need prayer. We need to be dependent upon the Lord. And a great example of that is Paul, isn't he? Paul was a, in the epistles, he was a great writer, and he was also praying he had a ginormous prayer list that Paul prayed with yeah, for the saints. Wonderful thing of prayer. So we need to be praying, people. That's a challenge to us. We're going to talk about discipleship. How is my discipleship? There's another challenge to us, Yes. The word disciple means a learner. And it's associated with the pupil and the teacher. We're learning from the teacher. And being a disciple, it also means that you are a part with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're with him, the Lord Jesus Christ, you're part of him and you are going to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, be Christ-like. Now there's another challenge for us, isn't it, in this day in which we live. Are we Christ-like? Christ-like in our homes. Christ-like in our working place. Do people see in us the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's another great challenge, isn't it? So we'll think about discipleship. We think about the cost. Is there a cost to our discipleship? Have we counted the cost when we became Christians, just let that pause in your mind for a thought. When you became a Christian, I became a Christian as a young person, 16, 17 year old. Did I count the cost of following Jesus? And the answer to that is, no, I didn't. Now you might have the same answer in your mind. I mean, in this country we have it fairly easy, don't we? In other countries, Christians will count the cost to their lives. We will talk about that later. Taking up your cross. Well, there is a cost. 
Jesus in this chapter is predicting his death and his resurrection. He's telling them three times. He gets to three times he's telling them this. Of his suffering and of his death upon the cross. And the disciples were just not grasping it at all of what he was saying. But Jesus counted the cost of going to the cross. He suffered going to that cross. Suffering and self-denial was a mark of the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross. And it says, when he's finished his prayer, and he's asking the people, who am I? Now, obviously, he knows the answer to that question, isn't he? He knows. But he's interested to what the disciples have to say to him. And they say, well, John the Baptist. They think he was John the Baptist, but he was now dead, wasn't he? They say, Elijah. Now, the Bible does talk about the coming of Elijah, but others say one of the old prophets is risen again. But he says, what do you say? who I am and Peter as usual jumps straight in uh, answering for the rest of the disciples thou art the Christ the anointed one and Matthew tells us the son of the living God and the Lord says blessed art thou Simon Jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father in heaven he had grasped the wonderful revelation and the disciples who Jesus was. Now if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know who Jesus is, don't we? Where do we learn about Jesus? In the whole volume of this book, we learn about the character of our Lord Jesus Christ and all his work and everything he has done. In the volume of this book. Now he told them, You don't tell anybody that. You don't tell anybody, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now we might ask the question, why is he telling them not to say anything at this point in time? Well, it's all to do with uh, Jesus' messianic mission. It can't be understood apart from the cross. That's the bit the disciples were not understanding at this point, yes? Yes. They now know he's the Messiah, but they can't understand this principle. He's going to die upon the cross. So they didn't understand. Uh, For them to proclaim the Messiah at that point would be to further more misunderstanding of who the Messiah was, i.e. he's coming as a political and military deliverer of the Jews. That's what the Jews expected. And the fallout would be that the Jewish people would want to make him king. And we all have that in the the Bible already, don't we? After the feeding of the five thousands. When they saw the miracles which he did, they wanted to take him by force and make him a king. So he departed into a great way off to pray. So that's what that means. Don't tell anyone, because it would have caused a lot more problems. 
Then he says, in verse 23, these are the challenging verses. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So the first thing, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> this is challenging our discipleship. These three things are challenging our discipleship as following Christ. So what does it mean by denying himself? Does that mean we need to go live in a cave somewhere, you know, not get involved in the world, not get involved in life? When they used to, in the olden days, used to whip themselves for penance and so forth and so forth and so forth as a measure of self-denial. It doesn't mean that at all. Does it mean that we should have a Spartan life and eat as much little food as possible? It doesn't mean that either, does it? Self-denial means that we're really cleaving steadfastly Conforming wholly to the Lord's example in living or in dying. So in other words, we're in very close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ to deny ourselves. Now in the Bible, crucifixion is metaphorically used of the renunciation of the world. So as Christians... We have a renunciation of the world. This is the bad side of the world, yes? Not good things, it's bad. And it's a reflection of our true Christian life. Because that's what we should be doing. We're renouncing the world. And that is a form of self-denial, isn't it? We're denying ourselves. And the greatest exponents of this, again, is the Apostle Paul, isn't it? He's the supreme example to us of self-denial, taking up his cross, and following the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Galatians 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that a wonderful motivation that Paul has there? As we've been thinking about this morning. He loved me, he loved you, and he gave himself for you. Now that needs a response, doesn't it? From us all. He says in Galatians 6, God forbid... That I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So we've got to get this balance right, yes? The bad world, anti-God, anti-Christ. We want no part of that in our Christian walkway. But there's other parts of the world we can have, isn't there? 
I've said it before, but it's worth saying again. John Nelson Darby was in a train with a man opposite reading his Bible, and Darby was opposite him on the other side. And Darby looked out the window and says, isn't the countryside beautiful? And this man said, no, I'm dead to the world. That was his expression. I am dead to the world. And then Darby shut up. He went quiet. And this man said, have I offended you? He says, I don't talk to a dead man. <laughs> Which is quite good, isn't it? Don't talk to a dead man. So he had, it, he had the balance all wrong. There is things we can enjoy, the creation that the Lord has made, family life, etc., etc. We can enjoy those things. He giveth us all things to enjoy. So, denying ourselves, taking up the cross daily. So these are expression of taking up the cross daily. And daily means daily, doesn't it? Every day we're taking up the cross. I love the verses in Isaiah 50 where it says of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, morning by morning when he awakes. As the learned, yes. Morning by morning. Every day he's getting up and his sole purpose of that day is toward the Father. All that he is doing is toward the Father. To glorify him. Morning by morning. Day by day. Taking up the cross. Now we've all got that picture in our mind, haven't we? Of the crucifixion of the thieves and of the Lord who carried their cross to Calvary. And to go to carry your cross to Calvary is death. That's what it means, isn't it? To die. For some, again, death comes to them because they've taken up their cross to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have some examples in Scripture, don't we? We have Joseph of Arimathea, and the Bible says he was a secret disciple right? for fear of the Jews. So this man was in fear of Jews, so he kept his discipleship secret. But what happened? When Jesus was crucified... And dead upon the cross, Joseph of Marathia came forward. He bought some clean linen to wrap the Lord in. Nicodemus helped him, took him down from the tree, and he gave him his own tomb. Now, what was he doing there? That man had now declared he was taking up the cross, and now he was following Jesus. He's given the message. He's telling everybody no, I am now following him. No more a secret disciple. Even if it cost him his life, he is now following the Lord Jesus Christ. Another example is Moses. In Hebrews, I'll just turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is what it says of Moses. 
It says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now remember, he'd had a great life, Moses, in Egypt. All the wealth of Egypt was his, etc., etc. But he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, Moses, when he come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now there's a choice, isn't it? He could have had an easy life, but he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. For he said, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, and he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So there's another example of Moses taking up the cross and following the Lord. These are good examples, aren't they? Now we can also think about Romans chapter 6. Because again it's in the context of following, taking our cross and following the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the measure of our discipleship again. And what we are following. And chapter 6 of Romans tells us these wonderful things. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? answer to that is no. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptised into Jesus Christ, were baptised into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. That is a path of self-denial and taking up the cross. We're walking in newness of life. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. So we haven't got the liberty to go out sinning, have we? It's not the purpose. We're yielding our new life to God. In chapter 11, reckoning yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Self-denial. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members of instruments of righteousness. All those verses tell us, in principle, we're taking up the cross and we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many of us have been on the journey a long time, haven't we? And we're still here. That's a good sign, isn't it? If we've been on this Christian walkway a long time and we're still here and we're following the Lord, that is a big plus. Well, we shouldn't rest on our laurels, but that is good. Remember that um, when Jesus was preaching and the feeding of the 5,000 again, I think it was. 
many of his titles said, you know, we're not taking this. How can we do this? And they left following him. Lots of disciples left following him. And the disciples said to them, to the disciples, will you also go away? It's a big question, isn't it? They're all going away. Are you going to go away? And the answer came back, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. That takes courage, doesn't it? If some are going away, you are still following the Lord and keeping fellowship with him. To whom shall we go? Now, discipleship has been tested. It's also in other chapters in Luke 9 as well. In verse 57, there's another test of discipleship came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. There's a lovely bold statement. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. He doesn't realise what he's saying, does he? But he says, the Lord says, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you still going to follow me? And he said to another, follow me. That's a command, isn't it? Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. His father probably wasn't dead, but he wants to bury his father first before he makes a commitment to go. But that's not good enough, is it, really? Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell to my at home at my house. Doesn't work that either, does it? And in chapter 14 of Luke, there's another test of discipleship which some brother will be doing later on. But that's in verse 25 of Luke 14. Discipleship tested again. So we're asking the question, aren't we? How is our discipleship? Are we counting the cost? Now the other big question, we need to move on quite quickly because it's time going on. But We've got to look at the transfiguration. And we ask this lovely question, is heaven real? When Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself. Is heaven real? When we read the transfiguration, heaven is real. And our joy will be in heaven. Now we just need to read some verses from 2 Peter, because this is Peter's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says in his epistle, second epistle, chapter 1, verse 16. 
He says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And here we find the Lord Jesus Christ praying again. He took Peter, James and John. He often took those three aside separately, isn't it? It's perhaps not because they're special than the rest, but he took those three aside. It says, and as he prayed, as Jesus prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, his raiment white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men who were Moses and Elijah. Now, isn't this wonderful? This is why heaven is real. We're now getting a glimpse into glory of two Old Testament saints who are in the glory, and now they're appearing in the glory, and they're talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that tell you? When we get to glory, who we'll be talking to? <laughs> we'll be talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So there's a clear evidence here of life after death in the presence of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared in glory and spake of his deceits which he could accomplish at Jerusalem. So that's what they were talking about. They were talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross. He was going to die upon the cross. His decease was via Calvary and his suffering upon the cross. That's what they were talking about. Isn't that lovely? Which means Old Testament saints up there and all the New Testament saints up there know exactly who the Lord is and what he has done. But, as usual, we find this in the Garden of Gethsemane as well, Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were asleep at this wonderful transfiguration of Christ. They were asleep. <laughs> but woke up in time. And they said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, in other words, he's jumping in straight away, as typical of Peter. He doesn't realise what he's just said. But the Father speaks from heaven. No to Elijah, no to Moses. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one. Others pale into significance. The Father, they, the cloud came down, overshadowed them. They feared as they entered into the cloud and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. You hear him. It's the most important thing. Not building two extra tabernacles to honour Moses and Elijah. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close 
and told no man in those days those things which they had seen. What a wonderful experience the the disciples had on that Mount of Transfiguration, seeing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a picture of the glory of his coming and his kingdom. That's what it was a picture of. It's going to be wonderful, isn't it? We're going to see all this when we come with him, with the saints, and we come to see him in the kingdom, as king of kings and lord of lords. We're going to see all this magnificent glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Magnificent. Do we believe that? (laughs) We shall see him as he is. And we're longing, as we thought this morning, we're longing to see him face to face. Longing. You think to yourself, what am I going to say first time I see him? (laughs) But there's a man in the glory. Jesus, the son of man. There's a man in the glory who we shall see and who we shall talk to. So heaven is real. That is our destiny. That can cheer us all up today, can't it? Because that's what our future will be. If we die in the meantime... It's still a blessing. It's absent from the body. We'll be present with the Lord in glory. Which is far better than being here. But as long as we're here, we have to challenge our discipleship. Are we taking up our cross daily? Are we following (coughs) him? All these things are of vital importance. Another thing that we can just briefly say is about following the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, you shall be my disciples indeed. So that pleases the Lord if we continue in his word. Uh, John 21, verse 9, we've talked about that. Uh, He spake signifying what death, he should glorify God. This is about Peter again. And when he had said this, he said, follow me. Now, Peter asked a question about John, didn't he? He said, Lord, what will this man do? And Jesus said to them, it doesn't matter what this man is going to do. You follow me. So following the Lord is an individual thing as well. Each one of us individually of following the Lord and keeping our eyes on the Lord there. So, and love. Think about the love, yes? How do we respond to the love of our Lord Jesus Christ? Very poorly sometimes, don't we? When we think of all the love he has given to us, it should elicit a a great response of being in fellowship with him and of following him. Do we take for granted his love and his suffering love and his death upon the cross to save us? All these things are challenging, aren't they? So is our discipleship real? 
And we counted the cost of following Jesus. And again, we say it hasn't cost as much in this country to a certain extent. Is heaven real? It's real. <laughs> and we can look forward to it. Let's give thanks. Our Father, we do thank thee again for giving unto us thy well beloved Son. And we give thanks that we are so greatly loved, loved by thee, Father, loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for the day we were saved. We thank thee for the day we started on our journey of faith. We thank thee we are still with thee this day, still seeking to follow thee. May our lives be seen as following thee, Lord Jesus, and may we not be ashamed to confess that name of thine in this world today. Give thanks for the word. Pray thy blessing upon us now as we continue in fellowship together and we can give thanks also for the fellowship of saints for we need one another. Give thanks in his precious name. Amen. But this is the last day that the McNeils are going to be with us, the last Lord's Day they're going to be with us. I think it would be inappropriate to let the day pass without just saying a few words.